Well, thank you, Paul. <clears throat> and uh, good to see you folks here today. <laughs> thank you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 15 once again. Uh, last week we looked at the last I am statements that Jesus had given in the book of John where it was uh, given to us. There are seven of them, and last week we talked about the last one, I am the true vine. And I just felt that maybe we needed to look at the benefits of being connected or being abiding in the true vine. Let's uh, start at John chapter 15, and we'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll go through uh, verse 11. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we come in to your presence and thanking you for you being with us here. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the word. You have given us your truth. And Father, you have given us all that we need to abide in you. Father, we would pray for those that were not able to be here today. We would ask that you would especially be with they and their families and you would bless them. Father, you know the hearts and minds of all of those, Father, that are connected to yourself, and we would lift up them to you as well across the globe, asking you at a time that is uh, very tenuous and troublesome, uh, many things that seem completely and wildly out of control, and yet, Father, you solely are sovereign, awesome, and omnipotent. Nothing escapes you. And, Father, we pray for strength and endurance wisdom and courage uh, during these times. We would ask even for these moments before us now that you, Father, would have your will and way with us, and then in our weakness that we would be made strong, as Paul even declared before you. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would solely be our teacher today, and that you would take us where you want us to be, and you would open our hearts and our minds to receive truth. We thank you for what you'll accomplish, for you and you alone are worthy of our glory, our honor, and our praise. And we look to you with anticipation for what you will feed us today. We'll thank you in Christ's name. 
Amen. As the last couple of weeks, as we've uh, been involved in literally the last week of Jesus' walk on the earth, chapter 13 begins and ends in chapter 17 of intimate moments, if you will. Um, Those of you that may have a a red-lettered Bible, you'll find that a great deal of it is actually Jesus' words. He is speaking the final moments and hours with his disciples, allowing them to see and to hear that things are of utmost importance, especially in his leaving. John chapter 15, actually, as you're there in your Bibles, again, I'd like to uh, give you notice to John chapter 14, verse 31, as it sets us up. As he says, but the world may know, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so do I. Even so I do, I'm sorry. And then it says, arise, let us go hence. Where's he going? They're literally on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They are going to the place where Jesus will be betrayed, I I shouldn't say momentarily, but within a few hours. And these words now that we've read a portion of again in John chapter 15, were things that he said while they were walking. It's, it's almost like have, if you needed to go somewhere, it's like, let's go. And Because Jesus knew the time frame. He knew he needed to get going. And he says to his disciples, we need to get going. And as he's going, he says, I am the true vine. Abide in me and you, and I in, I in you, you in me. And, he, and, he, and he's unfolding that literally as they're walking to the place that he would be taken from them. They had no idea, I'm sure, at this moment of how all of these developments were coming to a climax. But they got it later, as we'll see some in the, as, as John wrote in his first, first epistle. But the thing we want to key on today is the sense of abiding in me. He says, abide in me, and I in you, verse 4. And abiding, as we said, I even have it on the board from last week, um, Tell me once again, what does abide mean? What is Jesus really getting at? What are, what are the, what, what is he, again, these are last moment things, and he's going to be, we may even just take through this. This passage of scripture is so cool, because it's chapter 13 to chapter 17, and it's literally just jam-packed with Jesus' sayings and things that he would want all of his disciples. Now, he's walking with 11 of them. I want you to know that too as well. One's gone. Judas has cleared out. He has cut loose of the camp. He has shown himself now to not be abiding in Jesus. He's one, as Jesus says, I am the true vine, and you that abide in me will bear fruit. Judas now has taken a position. He's not in Jesus. He's been a pretender. Uh, I want you to think about that for a moment. There's 12 men that have followed Jesus. Jesus said, pick them. That's the other thing I find amazing is just the overwhelming sense of mercy and grace that our Savior has. He picked the one that he knew would betray him to fit the purposes of God. I think of that for a moment. And, and he never treated him any differently. We know that because as Jesus said on that night of the time that they were together, in their last time together eating a meal, and he said, one of you will betray me. And the other 11 had no idea. In fact, I'm almost wondering if the one that maybe would have, who is it? I mean, we have no idea. They had absolutely not a clue who it was. They probably thought it was probably Peter, because there's the guy that's out on the edge, right? You never know what he's up to. He's, he's loudmouthed, outspoken, and it just seems that he can't follow through on the promises that he makes, right? So it must be Peter. And, of course, Peter would even, 
Is it, is it I? In fact, they're even asking that. They are so concerned about this. It, it, Lord, it isn't I, is it? Judas was so good at pretending. No one knew that it was him. But at this point now, they still didn't really know. Because they thought he was going out to buy something. That's what it said at this point in time. But now he is talking to his true disciples. He's talking about those that are in him, that are abiding in him. Talk to me about abiding. It's a key word. I, I, I can't think of anything probably even more important as we're arriving in a, at a tumultuous time in our nation. Our world seems to be so incredibly full of fear and strife and conflict and challenges that it's hard to even describe them all. I was, I, was too, I was listening to some YouTube stuff this morning, just, you know, just keeping up. And it was, at a while, I just said, I can't take any I just need to talk about Jesus. That's what we need to talk about. We just need to talk about Jesus. It is so far out there that you can't hardly keep up. And the further you go, the more fearful you become. Let's just talk about Jesus. They were about to find the climax of their totally, totally being forlorn and dismayed and abandoned by Jesus, the Savior of the world, and he was leaving. And he told them to abide. <laughs> abide in me. That's the last thing he's, I am the true vine. Abide in me. He's saying the same thing to us today. He's saying exactly the same thing to us because that is the only place that you can, I, I said make fruit, but it's not that way. You don't make fruit. You just do fruit when you're in the life of the vine. And he's asking us, abide in me and I in you. Tell me what abiding looks like. What does it mean? Are you, have, how have you guys been with abiding? It's not easy, is it? There's so many distractions. What is the very word itself to, means to stay or to remain? To remain in Jesus. To stay there. To not wander, to not forsake, not to depart, don't leave. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Now, as I've already said, Judas Iscariot has departed. He has left. And ultimately, to his demise, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. There's a sense here of that we, it's the same word, the same concept. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, our, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That's the same word. To dwell, to remain, to abide, to hold fast. We'll find it in 1 John even a little bit later today. To dwell, to dwell. Now, it's interesting, those that were not abiding in him, a lot of times... Um, oh, and, and by the way, it's interesting. In our country, uh, it's, it's still sort of popular to say um, celebrities or someone in a place of popularity that I'm a Christian. Now, that's actually changing as we go on, but it was even more so in years recent. I'm a Christian. It was, it was an accepted thing. It would make you part of, in fact, I've, particularly in political circles, it seems like... If they say they're a Christian, they should be accepted. But what is a Christian? That's a question that literally Jesus is unfolding for us. What does it look like to be a Christian? Now, I've asked, in fact, this week I was praying with an individual, and I just, I've been working with him for a long period of time, and I asked him, I said, have you literally made a 
personal commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you, in other words, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And his answer was, is something I do all the time. So he didn't get it. Okay, that's all I know. He didn't get it. But the point of the matter was he's still interested. That's great. He's on a journey. You just keep moving down there. But I felt compelled to just ask that directly. But what is a Christian? What is something that's, that's abiding, that's staying in Christ? Is it just a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It's more than that. It's more than that. It's so cool. And we're going to use the Bible. We're going to discover it because the first benefit of abiding in Jesus, to abide in the true vine, is to be a Christian. And what does that mean? It literally means this. I mean, think about it. When Jesus came to the earth, think of that. That little baby, he was described as, the word that was used, Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And now these moments, this chapter 13 through 17, Jesus is moving them from, I, you, you know the Father because you've seen me. That was literally God wrapped up in humanness, in sinless humanness, no less. He was 100% God, 100% man, and he was with them. But what he's saying now is, I've got to leave so that God can be in you. He's saying God is in us. That is something we really don't get a full appreciation for because as we're sitting here today, or in my case, standing before you, to know the fact that when we are abiding, when we've trusted Christ, remaining there, we literally have the whole Trinity living within us. I'm not going to say anything for just a few seconds because that blows my mind. Isn't that amazing? The Old Testament saints, the Holy Spirit could come and go. Saul being a key component of that, or key representative of that. When he, when God anointed him, because the people wanted a king. They wanted a king. How many times in our country we look to the man or the woman as being a leader of, to taking us somewhere? Oh, for heaven's sakes, no. It's God we must chase after. Isn't it true? And Saul, he began chasing after other things, which... A lot of time, power does that too, doesn't it? Just, just look at those that have been elevated to power. There's so few men and women that can handle power and control. There's so few because it goes to their head. <laughs> right? I, I mean, I could just name them in the halls of Congress today. They've lost their way, and it's easily done. But Jesus, when we follow after him, when we trust him as, when, when we trust Christ, he is in us. Not only that, he told the disciples, I must leave so the comforter, the spirit of truth, can lead and guide you into all truth. Let's go to John 16, 13. I was actually talking with a friend of mine uh, the other day, last couple of days, about this verse. In, in different regards, but it, it fits so well. John 16, 13. Again, this is, again, these last moments. Uh, John 16 being, the, obviously, the, the following chapter, the following uh, words that he was speaking, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane at this point. John 16, 13. says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, if there isn't a time that we need that right now, it's it. The Spirit of truth being the Holy Spirit. Literally, the truth itself will guide you into truth. Do we need truth today? 
you had better believe it. We need it at an all-time record level. Truth. Uh, if we were to go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 14, as you're turning there, it's interesting, those that don't abide, those that are pretenders like Judas, they don't leave town, they just leave God. They leave the scripture. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Now, Moses is about to step off the scene. He has been guiding and leading these people, these uh, that have literally just kind of, what shall we say? They've, how would you like to have led the Israelites? Let me just say that. You got, how would you like to have led that pack of Israelites? Oh, my goodness, right? Moses had to go uh, learn how to, how to shepherd sheep for 40 years. I mean, how could you step into those guys, right? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, let's pop in at verse 14, okay? This is at the end of Moses' life. The Lord said unto Moses, verse 14, Deuteronomy chapter 31, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation that I may give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar of the cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us? Because God, our God is not among us? Now, granted, this is, these, these, these are words to the nation Israel. But I would also have to say to the land of America, we have done the same thing. We have rejected the truth. We have rejected God. We have forsaken Him. And how could we expect anything different than what is taking place? We must reach, again, the word to Christians, abide in me. Jesus is saying that. As trouble comes, even more important to stay focused on abiding in him. Now, as we talk about uh, the blessings of abiding, the first which we've already just mentioned briefly, which is even part of abiding, and that is the blessing salvation. Uh, not only just a personal relationship with Jesus, which is common in saying what, what your relationship is to Christ, but God lives in you. That, that's, that's even, I would just write that down. God lives in me. That's the difference. That's how my abiding in Christ is really uh, partitioned out. Let's go to John chapter 14. I don't know where you're at at this point. You can come back from Deuteronomy if you're still there. John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 23. It says in verse 22, actually, John 14, 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, he saith unto him, not Iscariot, I'm sorry, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Did you see that? Now that's Jesus speaking of whom? He's speaking of himself and the Father. God the Father, God the Son. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, remember, these are something, that, something hopefully last week stuck out to you, that love and obedience must come together. That's a really key component. Uh, and if you say that you love God, then you will follow his commandments. If you say you love Jesus, he says, if a man love me, verse 23, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Go, down, go back to verse 17, same chapter. 
John 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, and we just looked at that in chapter 16, verse 13, addressed the same in the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, did you just see that? In those two verses, literally, Jesus is stating this. Not only is the Holy Spirit coming, now he hadn't come at this point. These are the last, the last hours that Jesus is literally talking, conversing. These are important moments. These are important moments. And he's telling them, I'm leaving so that the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who is going to guide you in all truth, he is not only going to come to be with you, he is going to be in you. In other words, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Now we're talking about God in us. We are blessed. Can you imagine? I had a conversation with a young man uh, uh, this week, again, just, just getting started. He's, he's coming down the journey. He's starting to see who God is. And he asked this question. He said, the Old Testament people, who did they, they didn't know Jesus. I said, wouldn't that, been, wouldn't that have been tricky? We have no excuse whatsoever. We know Jesus. We've watched it. History has unfolded him for us. We know when he lived. We know when he died. We know why he died. We see it. And plus, we see in evidence the resurrection, which proved who he was who he was. Now, think of the Old Testament saints. That would have been a difficult time, wouldn't it have been? And plus, that sacrificial system, how burdensome, right? And where did God live in the Old Testament? Where did he live? In the temple. Isn't that something? So if you wanted to go see God, you couldn't even go see him because you couldn't dare go into the Holy of Holies because you, you couldn't take it. It was too much. It was too much God. Do you get it? But he lived there. That was where Moses, well, Moses was, was the first, to, to, to have the tabernacle and, this, and, and that whole thing. And then there was temples. Solomon built a temple. God resided there. Nothing, do you see what I'm trying to say for you? Is Do you understand what literally Jesus is saying as he's leaving the earth? Those believers, those that are going to be abiding in me, God's going to live within them. That is a hallelujah and amen that I can't even get loud enough. Is that, is that not something? That is crazy amen. good. Think of that. Now, here again, think of condensation. Uh, condensation. Uh, uh, that's not the right word. To, to condescend to a level, think of this. God... The very God, the one that created all things, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, Jesus Christ, came down to a level of being in a human body that didn't sin. Now think of this. When you place your trust in Christ because He paid for sin, He couldn't do it before. He could have never done it. See, the Holy Spirit couldn't come live within us until sin was taken care of. That had to be done by Jesus. And if Jesus hadn't paid for sin, then he couldn't have lived within us because the sin wouldn't have been paid for. But think of this. He's willing to take residence in your self, in your soul, in your heart, even though you're not sinless. But he paid for it. And you're trusting him. That's why the Holy Spirit doesn't know anyone that doesn't trust Jesus. Right? Business isn't taken care of. Do you see how relevant this is? Especially as Jesus is unfolding at the end. Man, this is big stuff. This is cool stuff. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, let's, verse 20. John chapter 14, verse 20. I forgot to mention that one. At that day, you shall know. Verse 20, chapter 14. At that day, you shall know 
that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, putting that all together. See, the Trinity, it's not just, it's not just the Holy Spirit that dwells. Literally, the way Jesus has placed that, all three components, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, literally dwells in us. I got nothing more than that. It's so big. It's so gigantic. It's so awesome. It's so over the top. And he did it for us. We don't get it, do we? We really don't get the full magnitude. And that's why he's saying, stay in Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. Oh, yes. Yeah. And we have to let him be. In fact, we do have, there's a couple of words. One's failing me around. You can quench the spirit or you can, what's the other one spoken of? I didn't come prepared. Um, But there's, in other words, we make a choice with what, and again, remember what he said in John 16, 13? The spirit of truth will come to guide you into all truth. How does he do that? He comes through the word of God. Talked with a gentleman yesterday. He said, I've got to stay in the Word. Yeah, I said, there's nothing better than staying in the Word. Because when you're in the Word, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, can guide you because that's truth. That's what's happened to America. We threw the truth aside. Couldn't throw it away. But we left the truth behind. And truth is still our largest problem in America today. We have set it aside. And as long as we set truth aside, we have set God aside, and we've set aside any possibility of understanding really what's going on in our world. You can't get it. That's why he turns you over. I'm sorry, not, not you, but he turned them over to a what? A reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is one that can no longer think properly because they've rejected truth. I don't know where that line is. There's some people that have rejected truth so long that God has just said, that's it. That's it. You're on to your own. I don't know who that is. I don't know where that is. I don't want to be that person. And as you said, as God is revealing truth to you, and he's working from the inside. You know, and it's a lot of times you can just, you come into a situation and it's like discernment comes over and you say, that would be wrong for me. And you can, where does that come from? From the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And the more that you're immersed in the word of God, the more you understand the truth, the easier it is for the spirit to guide you. I can't say that loud enough, but he's working on that moment. In fact, going down that line, let's go to Philippians chapter one, verse six. We'll be right back. Hold your place in John. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. This is a promise too as well that Paul had given to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. In fact, we will, uh, let's, just, let's just start off in chapter 1 verse 1 with the introductions. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop you there. I've maybe said this before, but sometimes it just, this time it seems like we just stick, need to stick with it. You will never find ever that peace comes before grace. Paul always, 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 either in the introductions or the benedictions, he always says grace and then peace, because it's impossible to peace without grace. I'm so glad for grace, and grace is what we're talking about. Let's keep going. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Watch verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you 
will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That fits exactly, Mary Caleb, what you're saying. He is on a mission to complete what he started. And how does it start? When you trust Christ, you are hooked up to the vine. You are hooked up to life. You are abiding. You're remaining. You're staying. You're not defaulting. You're not departing. You're not deserting. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit is literally taking care of business. Now, we have the right. We have the opportunity. I shouldn't say the right. I don't like that word. We have the choice to deny progress or to enhance progress. Because the Spirit, is, you know, it's, it's amazing. Even after we, after we have one of those, you know, you sin. And you say, that was so stupid. It was so stupid. And you know what? And you can turn around and you can see right there was where the Holy Spirit was trying to get me out of that. Right there. There was a moment right there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It tells us that with every temptation, there's a way to escape it. <laughs> and every time, if we choose to take the sin, we have chosen to reject the, I don't want to say it, the way to escape. Because he provides it. And, I, it's amazing. and sometimes when we sin, it's good to turn around and say, where did I go wrong? What did I miss? What was the, and almost, well, it is. It's every single time. God promised it. If you're abiding in him, he's going to give you a way out of that temptation. Now, the interesting part is, what if you never had any temptations? What if you had never any trials? It just was life was smooth as silk. Just like sailing the ocean, and it was wonderful. What would you know about your faith? It wouldn't be proven. It wouldn't be tried. That's what makes it true and tried and proven is when we have a testing of, our, of, of faith. That's what makes us know how we can get... I told a story last week, a personal story, uh, about myself. Now, I, I won't share it with you, obviously, today, but, but there was something about that event in my life many, many years ago. In fact, it would have been... That's probably like 35, 40 years ago. But that sticks out in my mind because it was a test of my faith that helped me to grow. And I can turn around and say, because of that event, I know my God can get me through whatever comes my way. That's what trying... In fact, let's go to... I'm thinking 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go there for a moment. 1 Peter... Before we do that, though, are you still got your hand back in John chapter, John chapter 14? Let's go to John 17 before we go to, uh, to 1 Peter. John chapter 17, verse 23. This is, now, this is, now this is really cool. This, this is so cool, we, and we don't think of it in this light. Now, I've told you John 13 to John 17 are literally, it's almost all Jesus' words, and it all happened literally within a few hours. There's that much going on. It's jam-packed, and John was able to record it for us, and we need to spend some time on those four chapters. We really do. And so now Jesus has spread out for them from, from chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, all of the things that he wants them to think about, all the things he wants them to do, part of that being, abide in me, I am the true vine. Chapter 17, are you ready for this? When he gets done telling them, he says, I got I, I to just talk to the Father because now I'm going to pray for them to do what I asked them to do and I'm going to pray to my God, God the Father. And God the Son are having a conversation in John chapter 17. Oh, my goodness. Let's see what they have to say, right? I want to know what they have to say. Verse 23, we're going to just dive in here. But if you want to do a little patch of homework, take John 17, knowing that this is a prayer that God the Father and God the Son are talking to one another. John chapter 17, verse 23. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me 
and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Stop. There's so much going on there. But I, I want you not to miss this. Not only do you have, when you're abiding in Jesus Christ, not only have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living within you, because we just looked at that, the very same love that God the Father loved God the Son with, I don't even know what that looks like other than, can you imagine? He said right there, the same love between God the Father and God the Son is the same love that is for His. Those that are following Him, those that are abiding, those are the ones that Jesus has claimed as His own. It's the same love. You see how overwhelming this stuff is? It's so grandiose. How can we be fearful when we've got that kind of stuff going on? You should, that's a verse you need to have marked. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to get to 1 Peter in just a little bit, but Romans chapter 8, verse 10. You're wondering how far we are going to get today. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's why we ask God where to take us. John, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 10. Again, speaking, I'm looking to this, the presence, the indwelling, if you will. I'll start in verse 9, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There, it just lays it out. The, the, the Spirit of God will dwell in you. Now watch verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you see it again? Paul spoke of this, living within us. Living within us. Now, as we spoke just a moment ago, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We spoke a few moments ago of how God was in the temple in the Old Testament. He then was literally in Jesus Christ because he was with us, God with us. In other words, he templed in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's look at verse... Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3. I'm so sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Know you not, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Don't you know that? Paul is saying that. Don't you know that? And then chapter 6, same, same, same book. These are all verses that you should have. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to tell you to underline them in your Bible. But they need to be somewhere in your repertoire of your quiver that's full of verses that allow you to know who you are in Christ and who Christ is is living and being with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Now watch. He says again, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Isn't that good? That's exactly right. Now think of how was it bought? Well, you said I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was for sale. I don't remember being, I don't remember selling out. Yeah, yeah, there is. The only thing that you could have been bought with, there's nothing you could do. You had, do not have enough money to buy your way into heaven. If it could have happened, there'd been a lot more that are richer than we are, and they couldn't get her done. But you are bought and paid for from the only one that could pay for the penalty of sins, and that's Jesus Christ. And you were on the slave market. You were lost and you were, there was so much money owed on you that it was just ridiculous. It was, it was an amazing amount of money. It was an amazing price. I keep saying money. It's not money. It's things that you couldn't provide. And Jesus, during that slave market, when you literally were confronted with the truth that you were lost, you were a sinner and the wages of sin were death, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no, not one righteous. And when you understood that Jesus 
paid for that, and you reached out in faith, he paid the price. But you're no longer yourself because God has taken up residence within you and you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that humbles us a little bit, right? Some of the decisions we make, some of the choices we make, does it, if we would think about that, wait a minute, okay, I'm going to make this decision based on this, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live within me. I am their temple. That's the word that Paul uses. And they love me with as much love as God the Father loved God the Son. I think we'd make better decisions. <laughs> Would you not agree? I think it's pretty relevant. I think that's called focus. Uh, I still really love that. Song. I love focus because the more we're focused on Jesus Christ, the more likely we are to make right decisions. That's why society always seems to, to default to noise and speed and pressure. Those things all never allow us to be still and know that we are God. Be, be still and know that I am God, not that we're God. Be still and know that I am God. When we're still, when you, when you take time and, and, ask, and you just take a step back, and again, will you invite Jesus Christ into every room of your heart, every room of your life, every room of your mind? See, that's questions that we ask ourselves as we, as, as we get engaged in other activities. When we're making decisions, those are questions that we're answering by how we act. What's behind that? When we're abiding, we're focusing. When we're focusing, we're learning more of where the Spirit is guiding us. And when we consider the fact that I have opened my heart to being the temple of God himself who loves me with as much love as... It's incomprehensible. That's what Ephesians chapter 3 talks about. That the love, the breadth, the width, the height, the depth. Remember that? To think of the comprehension of that unsurpassed, unimaginable, uncomprehensible, incomprehensible love. That's what he's talking about. And that's how much he loves us. When we make a decision, if we can settle back into that cushion of who God is and where he's at... It's a lot easier to make right decisions. Isn't it true? And I'm not talking pointing a finger. I'm the same way. It's exactly the same. But do you know how much pressure society pushes on us? Oh, it's, it's incredible. From the advertising to the social media to all of those things. You know, like even on Facebook or something, which I'm not a Facebook guy, but I was, I was listening to this another, another uh, man that had accepted Christ in the last year, and he's just he's growing. He's just growing. And he says, it's interesting, I'm just on Facebook, he says, if I would make a purchase, you know, anything, like shoes or something, I'll make a purchase through faith. Guess what happens the next day? There's, there's all kinds of advertising for shoes. You see, they're actually using how we react to bait us into the next step or level. That's what compu the computer age, all of the media, the ex you know, the exaggerated forms of the communication has literally, we, they're easy to tell where we're at. Where do you spend your time? What are you looking at? What are you buying? What are you involved in? All of those things literally can press us outside of focusing on who we should be focusing on, and it's on something else. Isn't it true? It's absolutely. That, that's all. And by the way, Satan doesn't care that you don't worship God. Just worship anything else, and he's happy. Anything other than that. See, when we say antichrist, it's not just against Christ. It's anything other than Christ. I can't think of how our world would be more, or more effective or efficient than what's taking place right now today. They have done it marvelously, haven't they? It's amazing. It's amazing. 
but you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at, uh, along that vein, one, a couple more. Galatians chapter 2. Where did, you, where did I leave you? 1 Corinthians? Galatians chapter 2. You're going to have a quiver full of verses that can help you when you need to know your position in Christ. When you're abiding, what is it benefits and salvation, how broad, how wide, how deep it is. Galatians chapter 20. I'm sorry, you will not find Galatians chapter 20. If you do, you are in the wrong book. Galatians chapter 2, let's try that. And verse 20. Paul speaking to the, the, the uh, church at Galatia. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I am, Paul speaking, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He liveth in me. Turn with me now to 1 John. This is written by the same man that wrote the, the Gospel of John. And that, when he wrote it, when he was part of it, probably when he wrote it, he would have had an understanding. But when he was living it, when this was becoming the, the last moment he was with Jesus Christ, he didn't know all of the things were taking place. But now watch in 1 John, the first epistle, chapter 4 and verse 4. Watch what he says. Pulls this all together. First John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Down to verse 13. Hereby know, hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Now that word dwell, the same thing that could be used is abide. Hereby know we that we abide in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. The very essence of having the spirit is we're abiding in him. Turn down to verse 16. Verse 16. Well, 15 and 16. Same chapter. 1 John chapter 4. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Do you see it? It's just time after time after time. That same word dwelleth could be abide. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth or abideth in love abideth in God, and God in him. See, this, it, just, it just fits, doesn't it? And think of the magnitude of what's being presented. Back to Colossians for a moment. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. Colossians 1, 21. And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. That continuing abiding in him. Now, let's go to 1 John. Or 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I'm sorry. That's where I said we were going to go quite a while ago. Now, I want you to see something. 1 Peter, again, written by that, that apostle, was, was walking with Jesus. And, of course, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll go to the death with you. I'll never deny you. And literally, in a few hours, he had done it all. He'd run away. He denied him. But here he goes. Now, he's written a couple of epistles. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, through sanctification of the Spirit 
unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, it was through that resurrection. If Jesus had never resurrected, we would not, I would not have you come here and waste your time because you would be wasting your time. If Jesus had not rose from the dead, I would tell all of you to go home. There's no point. There's nothing here. You just well go worship Buddha or whatever. It doesn't matter because death is the enemy. That's the proof. And when Jesus rose from the dead after three days, it was like having that stamp of approval. When Jesus said it was finished, God said it is finished when he rose from the dead, God the Father. That is the deal that makes mercy and grace reliable and to be offerable. Now, verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you see that now? When you trust... Christ, when you have become part of the true vine, then literally what keeps you there is what? Did you see what it said? The power of God. Not the power of me. Not the power of anyone else. Not the power of a priest. Not the power of anyone. It's the power of God through faith. That is fantastic. So, you see, it's not just up to it. Now, we are. We're responsible for making those decisions to abide when, when the Spirit is leading us. But we are protected by the power of God. Verse 6, one more, one more verse. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And that's what, exactly what we're talking about. We're protected by the power of God, but the proof of faith, the fact that it's being tested, allows us to see that literally our faith is stronger when it's tested, when we're protected by the power of God. Do you see how this all works? It's just the more that we're abiding, the more we're focusing, the more that literally we see the power of God, and the more power of God that's revealed the stronger our faith becomes. And that's exactly what's going on here. That's why Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. One more in 1 John chapter 5, and then we're going to move on. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. This is the record. John, once again, the Apostle John, his first epistle, verse 11, chapter 5. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That is fantastic. That verse 13 is so stout, so powerful. We can know that we have eternal life if we have the Son of God. So literally, um, do you want the good news or the bad news right now? We've been talking about all good news, but the bad news for you is, is how long do we want to stay? Because we have just went through the benefits of abiding. We have went through the first one. There's six. And the laughter has begun. 
Larry, it's okay. Don't get depressed. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. And <laughs> well, one thing is, is we spent a lot more time on this one. That is salvation. The abiding in Christ, the abiding in the true vine is literally the whole, that is the big thing. And the fact of, it's not just, we have God living within us. I spent a lot of time making sure that you understand that. Because when we understand that, it helps us make better decisions on how to remain abiding and be taking on that life and to be able to be fruitful. Not that we make the fruit. No, when we're connected, when we're staying, remaining fast in Jesus, fruit just happens. It just happens. I was looking at an apple tree today. Now, the deer, they were... Have you ever watched those deer? They can just get up on their haunches, you know, and they can just pick. And there's a bunch of them. They've got all the low ones. The low-hanging fruit is on the ground, and they're munching away and looking. I hadn't even noticed that it happened. I just happened to be looking, and I see this deer in the middle of the day eating on the apples. I, I had not even seen the apples happen. That's just the way it should be when you're abiding in Christ. Fruit should just happen. It should just happen. And people, deer, <laughs> are reaching up to take some of that fruit because within all of that fruit is more life, and it's to be enjoyed by others. They were... A, this little fawn was really enjoying this fruit, okay? And the fruit that, we, that we're part of bringing forth is an enjoyment all around, all around. In fact, that's the second benefit of being abiding is fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Let's go to, let's see, where did I leave you in First John? Somewhere there. Um, let's go back to, to uh, John, the Gospel of John, verse 15, and let's look at verse 8. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. In other words, if you're bearing fruit, <laughs> that's how someone can tell if you're a Christian. That's how they can tell if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you tell them. If there's no fruit, there's no life, there's no abiding. Now, we have different levels. Remember the soils where it was, there was seed planted in good soil and some was 30-fold and some was 50-fold and some was 100-fold? Not everyone produces the same amount of fruit, but everyone that is in the vine, on the, in, abiding in the vine, will have fruit. Everyone. Every one of us. Fruitfulness. Uh, turn with me to, um, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talking about the focusing, if you will. What are we looking at? What are we paying attention to? What are we spending our time? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Actually, on your way by, I'm sorry. If you're going through Romans, let's check in at chapter 7 and verse 4 on your way through. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, Romans 7, 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. See, God wants us to have to bring forth fruit. Second Corinthians chapter 3, as you're marching on there, let's go to that one. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Second Corinthians 3, 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's exactly when we talk about sanctification. That Holy Spirit is literally changing us from the inside one moment at a time as we continue to yield and to focus and abide in God. That happens with us even really not recognizing the significance of it. 
Now, the degree of fruitfulness, we talked about having different fruit levels for different folks. It's going to depend upon our level of commitment. It's going to depend upon our affection for Christ. One of the fruits that literally becomes, that, that comes, is, this is going to sound a little bit strange, but the fruit of, in fact, I, I got one verse I should go to you. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. I just happened to think of that one. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11. Philippians 1, 11. Philippians 1, 11. We'll start in verse 9. Philippians 1, verse 9. And this I pray, Paul praying, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. This is his prayer for the Philippians. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus. Imagine that. If you're abiding in Christ, the only way you can have fruit, fruits of righteousness. So, the fruit that we bear is righteousness. Now, one of the fruits that is along that line is one that may surprise you a bit, and that is the fruit of repentance. Repentance. If you don't have the fruit of repentance, I think that's the beginning of it all. What is your position on sin? You see, when God is working from you and you're abiding in Him and He's living in you, He's dwelling, then the one thing that's going to absolutely be significant is the fact of your perspective on sin. It's good. I'm telling you what, you're going to have it at a whole new level. When you trust Christ, you're going to see things completely different. Now, maybe one, fortunately, and the Holy Spirit is so good. God is so gracious, so good, so understanding, so comforting and loving. He doesn't hit you with the truckload of sins that are in your life that you probably could. He doesn't just dump this on the front lawn and says, deal with that. He doesn't do that, thankfully. That's grace as well. But he will, he will, he'll find out probably the one that's the most significant in your life. The one that's taking the most time, taking the most energy, that's part of pruning. Because if you're abiding in him, he wants you to be fruitful. You can't be fruitful if you're spending energy in the wrong places. Here comes the father. He's got the, I was going to say a weed whacker. What's that, what's that tool that, uh, the pruning shears, yeah. And he's, and he's right there, and, he's, and, he, and he analyzes perfectly. It's not like me going out to trim the tree. That would be a horrible mistake. I don't know any, I'm not an arborist. I, I'm bad at that stuff. I would just look at it, and it would be more of a, it would be a, uh, an external view, right? I would just say, that one's not very good. Let's snip that. No, no, God doesn't do it that way. His focus is to make you fruitful. Much fruit, more fruit. So he's going to analyze, and he knows because he's God, that area that you may not be interested in letting go of because you like the energy you're spending there, but you're not being fruitful. He goes, snip, and a snip. And a, right? Sometimes we've got big trunks we've got to get sawn off, right? But he's making us fruitful. He knows exactly where and how to make the cuts. Sometimes it's an angle. Sometimes it's straight. But he knows exactly how to make you more fruitful. Isn't that good? That's so good for us knowing that he cares and loves us. Because again, where does he come from to love? The same love that the God the Son received from God the Father is the same love that you as a follower as a disciple follower of Christ gets from God the Father. The same love. Ah! And you question His. You don't need to. You don't need to. Amazing. Amazing. Repentance. Um, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I don't know where I have you, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 
I'm gonna, just one more thing I want to say about this. I want to be very clear on this. Let's take Judas Iscariot for a moment, okay? Now, he has went out, correct? In chapter 15, he's gone. He's long gone. He's already, he's making a plan. He's gathered up. He's got his money. He's now preparing where and how to betray Jesus to the chief priests. They want to get him killed and killed quickly. I mean, they're, they're there to do business. It's going to be in the middle of the night. He's already went out, okay? Now, after that event, when he betrays Jesus, something comes over him. There was a sorrow, correct? But it was not a sorrow of repentance. It was a sorrow from the world, which we're going to talk about in just a second here. Where did that sorrow lead Judas Iscariot? To death, okay? Now, a, world's, a worldly sorrow is just that very thing. It does not lead you to repentance. It leads you, as we're going to find out in a verse. This is a verse you need to have circled in your Bible or whatever you... I, I shouldn't tell you to do that your Bibles. Maybe you have one Bible you just mark up. That's okay. But you just have it in your notes. Somewhere, you need to know this because the worldly sorrow leads to death. That's exactly what happened to Judas Iscariot. He did not have a sorrow unto repentance. He had a sorrow unto death. Now, here's the difference. There's a sorrow that leads you to repentance, and then there's the one that you're sorry that you got caught. I was listening, and there's, the news is full of that. In fact, there's a, the, a man running for Senate in, I believe, it's South or North Carolina, and was involved in an in a, in a, uh, extramarital affair, was caught red-handed, and now he said, well, I've apologized. I'm going to just continue on. Now, he's only sorry that he got caught until it was uncovered. You see the difference? Huge, huge, huge difference. We're talking, with the, what we're talking about here, when we're abiding in Christ, part of the fruitfulness for us to be fruit is in our own lives, is recognizing when a sin is there and to have an attitude of repentance toward the sin, not because we got caught. Do you see the difference? It's a huge thing. Now, knowing that, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now, again, we're popping in here, but it, 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 we're able to dial in pretty quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. In other words, salvation, that's where we're headed. That's the bottom line. So when there's godly sorrow, it works repentance that takes us to salvation. But watch now. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. How many times has Satan used sorrow and depression and all of these different things to weigh heavy upon someone, not to drive them to God, to literally drive them to suicide or somewhere of taking life some, some other way? You see, it's a huge difference. We're talking about repentance as fruit. Godly sorrow leading us to repentance over the presence of sin. Let's take a look at, uh, Col- let's see here there. Let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. How are we doing for time? We're not doing too bad yet. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at verse 5. Let's start there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Thank goodness for the truth of the gospel. Where would we, we, where would we be at today sitting in this place or hearing the, the, my voice if you didn't have the opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel? That's one of the things that I think, in fact, I'll, state, I'll say this and uh, be praying for us as we're, as we're in, in truth seekers, is the fact that the Gen Z, which uh, I don't even know exactly, but they're kind of high schoolers and probably early college age. I don't know exactly the, the time frame. But literally, if you think about this, from the Internet, from all of the social media, all of the different things coming at them, 
You know what keeps coming at them? Everything's perceived or presented as truth. And yet it's so much from so many different angles. Their mind, they've actually, this is what they believe now as a, as a group. I, I am, I'm kind of taking them down. What's the right word? Um, uh, I, I'll just say, I'm grouping their opinion, okay? Because this, this is what the majority says. Well, we don't think there is anything such that there is truth. You can't even know truth. And then it goes, and then the next level is this. Truth really doesn't even matter. Isn't that something? See, now, when we reject a nation, as a nation, truth for so long, two and three generations, where we literally reject truth for knowing it when we know truth, that's what Romans chapter 1 is about, then literally the next generation is one step further away from understanding truth, and now we've arrived at a level where a generation doesn't even think truth can be known. And they're being honest. They're not being, they're not being weird. They don't think it's out there. And, you know, even for me, and I was studying, I was kind of studying a diff whole different su subject, and the different onslaughts of different perspectives on the same subject were mind-blowing. And I finally just said, I just need to talk about Jesus. I just need to talk about Jesus. Because truth has become distant, absent, and literally it's so many fronts that are being claimed to be truth that are lies. I watched the debates on Tuesday night. Or was it Wednesday night? Uh, the presidential debates. Wednesday night. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The lack of truth. I, it was unbelievable. And so the point of the matter is this. As long as I say something, whatever I perceive that I want to be truth long enough, it becomes truth. And that's why, do you blame the Gen Z's for not thinking that they can know truth? You see what I'm saying? We re that's where we need really that. If you want to pray about something, you can pray about a lot of stuff. And we need a lot of prayer. We need to pray for ourselves. We continue to be abiding and focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ because that's when we become more fruitful. And when we're more fruitful, that's when people know that we're disciples, followers of Christ. If someone says there's a Christian, there's no fruit in their life, they're probably not a Christian, period. So for God to use us, to be able to, 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 be able to use us, we need to look and sound and smell and act like a Christian. And that means we have fruit and we have love for our fellow men and women. When we're doing that, then people are looking and saying, that's different. I want to know more about that. I've had more questions from people about truth because of the world that's gone crazy than I've ever had in the last six months. That's cool. It's awesome, isn't it? But we need to really be... And here's, here's what I was going to say. Finish the statement. If you want to pray about something, that is pray about the acceptance of the return of truth. Truth didn't go anywhere. We need to return to it. But accepting truth for what it is, regardless whether we want it or not, that's the other thing. Do you believe truth? I asked this of a gentleman that we were talking about. Uh, he was, he was um, I would say, working in counseling with another person. And they had a very fixed position. And I said, well, one of the questions you'd like to ask is, John chapter 16, verse 13, the spirit of truth will guide you in all truth. If they're willing to accept that, the Holy Spirit will guide them in truth. Whether they like it or not, tradition or not, will you receive the truth? That's key, isn't it? Will we receive the truth? Will we receive the truth? That's what we need to pray in this country, that we would receive the truth. Not just at the very highest levels of Congress, which they need to do just as well, but I'm talking about just in our general community. Will you receive truth to be true? Very strong. Very strong. Where did I leave you? Where was I going? Colossians? Okay, chapter 1 and verse 5. Did I even read any of it? That was often another 
Let's just start over. Verse 5, chapter 1. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth. That's what I said. Wouldn't it be something if we hadn't heard of the, the truth of the gospel? Which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. There you go. Bringeth forth fruit. The word, the truth of the gospel. Truth brings forth fruit. As it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, that's all part of what God wants us to do when we're abiding in Him. And then, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And I think we're probably going to... We're going to close it up. That, that's probably a heavy load for one day, isn't it? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I've even got Tony saying that's enough. That's, that's heavy stuff now. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now watch. Uh, now, we're speak, speaking back to the sense that repentance is a fruit of righteousness. It's a fruit of righteousness. And we want it over sin, not just the consequences of. Now, watch verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Isn't that true? Absolutely. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What was it that broke the fellowship in every single age or dispensation group? Let's start all the way back in Adam and Eve. What, what happened that and it said with it? You remember, what, what did it say? In the afternoon, God walked with them. Okay. Why did he cease to walk with them? Sin broke the fellowship, right? What is the fruit that he really wants in us that helps us to have even more koinonia, more fellowship, more interaction, more intimacy between God and us? It's the sense of sin in our lives. And the repentance is this fruit that he wants us to see it and then literally to confess it. And he is, he is able to forgive that plus restore the fellowship that's lost. Now think of this. I want to take you back to this thing and salvation one more time. How blessed we are sitting here in the year 2020. As good as it ever got, Adam and Eve only walked with God. Enoch, who was translated, was caught away. He walked with God. God lives in you if you've trusted Christ. It is unbelievable to me, is it not? It is unbelievable. And then to think even into the next... The next phase, the next dispensation, which will be the change of that will be the rapture, the catching up, the catching away. At that point, the Holy Spirit will be ushered off with us. How would you like to live in this world without the presence of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit can convict in and of himself, using the word of God again, the word, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he also does it from a Christian that is abiding in Christ, that is focused and totally tuned in to what God and Jesus Christ is wanting to do in their life, that Holy Spirit then, just by lifestyle, by the fruit that they bear, is able to convict and to use and to bring those in truth to himself. But take the church, that's what we are knowing as an embodiment of, when we leave at the rapture, caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Jesus is not coming to the earth. That's called the second coming. That one there... 
That's a scary time when Jesus comes back to the earth again. It's over. The battle is over. But when we're caught up to meet him in the air, the spirit goes with. And if you think it's tough to get saved now, can you imagine with the man of perdition, the Antichrist, Satan, it said that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. This Antichrist will be literally Satan personified. It will be like Jesus Christ, Satan with us. I can't imagine those days. But it will take those seven years, literally for the Jews, Israel, to see Jesus for who he is, their Messiah. And they will. They will. At his second coming, they will see him for who he is. But aren't you glad that we can see Jesus today because of the truth of the gospel? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. And we've just literally scratched the surface of the benefits of abiding in the true vine, that is Jesus Christ. Father, you are the husbandman. You are the gardener. You are the one that knows how to trim, to prune, and to make more fruitful. Father, the energy-robbing things in our lives that you need to take away, that you need to snip off, maybe even cut off with a fairly large degree of difficulty and challenges to ourselves, we can know that behind that pain, the brief moments of sorrow, that literally it is for our good because you have promised through Jesus himself praying to the disciples, for the disciples and to those that are his today that the same love that the Father loved the Son is the same love that you love us with. You're doing what needs to be done because it's in our best interests and brings glory to yourself. There's so many things that are beyond our comprehension. They're surpassed anything that we can even possibly think or imagine. But fathers, we center on just the basics of what abiding in you means. That is that literally the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. As we comprehend the incomprehensible, and we think about the love that is bigger, wider, deeper, stronger than it can be imagined, it is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that any of that was made possible. As Jesus was walking literally to his death that night, talking with the disciples in, I'm sure, some sense of an accelerated tone, he knew his time was drawing near. He'd said it numerous times already. He said, let's go. We've got to get going. The disciples caught the words, but probably not the meaning. Father, how many times is it true of ourselves as we read the word and not studying, not meditating, not understanding, not taking time to know the significance of you dwelling in us, you loving us incomprehensibly. Father, as our world or society has gone mad, they want us to less think, they want us to think less of worshiping you, of praising you, of thanking you, of being focused on you, of meeting together for you. It's more about hustle and bustle and fear, condemnation, division, all of those things that are rising up. Father, may you quiet our hearts as we pray for truth to be revealed and accepted by our populace 
It's important for us as well to, as it says in Psalm chapter 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. The humbleness that that brings to our hearts, seeing a all-powerful, awesome, omnipotent, omniscient God that has chosen to save us from our sin through the power of God Himself, God the Son, which was offered up at the hands of those that He had created to satisfy sin, an unsolvable problem for mankind. He loved us before we loved Him. And He took care of business. And Father, you proved that it was good enough when he was risen from the dead. And because of that, we have an incorruptible inheritance that is held firmly by the power of yourself through faith. The concepts that we've talked about today, Father, may you etch them in the very innermost part of our mind, our heart, our soul, everything that makes us who we are, that we would never forget the significance of a God living within us calling our very body the temple of God. May we have our hearts, our person open to Jesus Christ, inviting Him in, not just for a meal, but inviting Him in to live, to converse, to have intimate relationships from conversation to life, anything, Father, that makes us who we are, to involve Him in our very essence. Therein is abiding in Jesus. Take us and use us, Father, this week. You'll have to encourage us. You'll have to strengthen us. You'll have to, in our weakness, make us strong because there's nothing apart from being in the vine. We can do nothing. Jesus said that as well. With earnestness, we give ourselves to you, asking you to do what you will with us. Again, we pray for those that are in situations today that we may know, not know anything of, but you do, Father. Whatever it might be, would you protect them? Would you hold them? Would you bring them closer to yourself through your love? And may we show that we are disciples and Christians and followers of Jesus by the love that you have literally shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans 5.5. 5. Thank you, Father, for Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We can't even imagine the depths of that verse. But to know Jesus has protected, saved unto eternity. We trust you now with these things that we've prayed for. We humbly fall at your, at your feet as you put your arms of love around us. We submit to you in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.